Hi, welcome to Chatting to a Friend. I'm Katie Friend and in this podcast I'm chatting to incredible women about their life experiences and adventures as well as their thoughts on friendship, community, self-care, setting boundaries and how they keep healthy, happy and sane. Shemi Alcott is a four-time Olympian. She is Britain's most successful ever female skier and she is just fresh off a winter as one of the lead presenters alongside Ed Lee of Ski Sunday. I mean, can you imagine if you're a girl in the mountains in skiing, a better career trajectory? She opens up in this interview about her early childhood, her absolute determination from a very young age, being brought up with two older brothers uh, to just race and do and and achieve great things. She talks about her struggles with not necessarily giving 100% because she had the fear of failure. She talks about the dip when she had severe injuries, when she lost her mum very suddenly, when despite coming back and winning her first ever, the only ever female World Cup title in for a British skier, that then she struggled a little bit with early motherhood, going back to work, trying to juggle career and motherhood. It's a great conversation. She's very open. She's absolutely mile a minute. She's very strong personality. And as she has come to discover over throughout her life, as many strong-willed, strong personality women will tell you that not everybody likes that. And she has been subjected recently to some very awful, awful online abuse. So we talk about that. And how do you get over that? How do you reconcile that in your life in this day and age or at any time, really? A brilliant interview. um, Very, very worthwhile listening to. Shemi is currently, as I record, somewhere up a very, very high mountain in Switzerland, completing her latest challenge. And you can hear all about that at the end of the podcast. I didn't get Shemi to set me a challenge quite frankly, because I forgot. But what I'm going to do is try and catch up with her when she's done and get her to do it then. Enjoy. Hi, Shemi. Thanks for joining me. How are you today? I'm fantastic. How are you? Oh, very well indeed. Thank you. Very well indeed. Thank you so much for joining me. It's just absolute pleasure to speak to you. Um, We met, I think, back very back at the beginning of both our sort of speaking into a microphone careers at the Verbier High Five. We did. That was one of the best gigs I ever had and it was the start. (laughs) Yeah, I I seem to remember you ending up in a pool with your microphone at one point. (laughs) There was nothing off limits, let's just put it that way. (laughs) Brilliant. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to follow your career both on skis and off. Um, And I just wanted to sort of delve back into like right back at the beginning and your childhood and growing up in, you know, being born on the South Coast and growing up there, how did you go from there? How did you go from there to being Britain's greatest ever female skier? How did that come about? So uh, it's quite a bizarre one, isn't it? But I am the product of a sport mad mat family. My dad was a rugby player and my mum was a swimmer. 
So I always say I got his glutes and her lungs and I was made to be a lactic <laughs> goat. Um, but seriously, it was probably more to the fact with um, they weren't allowed to ski whilst they were competing in their respective careers. So when they retired, they went skiing and they absolutely fell in love with it. So my eldest brother, he started skiing very young. And by the time I was born, all my brothers were racing and I just wanted to follow them into it and copy everything they were doing. And I started when I was 18 months old. I'm not going to lie, there was a slight amount of bribery to get me going. Uh, a few of those uh, strawberry gelatin sweets. I still love those. And they still bring me back to the slopes. And then, and then I just got hooked. I think I, I was in this kind of environment where I was the youngest. I've got older brothers. I was always being pushed, um, but my own choice to be pushed because I didn't know um, all about the kind of gender roles in society. I didn't know that age um, had an influence on whether I should be my brothers or not. And they're four and eight years older than me. Um, so I was just really driven because they set such great um, inspirational uh, athletes for me to follow, really. Extraordinary. And then logistically, how did you manage? I, I saw, I was reading earlier that, you know, from 11 to 19, you were off in New Zealand yeah. every every year. Yeah, we made a huge amount of sacrifice. Um, and I did what I could in the UK. I did loads of dry slope skiing. I skied at Sandown Park, which is an eight second dry slope with a 90 degree bend in it. Um, about six, six or seven times a week. I actually lied. I told them I was seven when I was six so that I could get into the ski club a year earlier. Um, and, um, and then I did races all the time on dry slope, school skiing. And then, yeah, in the summers I went down to New Zealand. Um, I saw an advert at my local dry ski slope on the wall, uh, saying there's this camp for teenagers down to New Zealand, um, who want to hone in and improve their development in the sport. And I was 10 at the time. And I was like, well, I'm pretty much a teenager. So I, I ripped a piece of paper off. It was literally back in the days before Wi-Fi hmm. and everything. So I, I had this little piece of paper and I sat on my kitchen counter and I called this number and I explained that I needed to be on that camp. Um, and, that you know, I, I had a very persuasive argument and they were like, right, OK, let's speak to your parents later. So then my parents came home and I said, look, I'd really like to do this. Um, I've called the guy. I've organized it all. If you can phone them and see um, and the first question, they said, look, your daughter sounded quite young. How old is she? And they said, she's 10. I'm like, right, okay, this camp's open to teenagers and only teenagers. Um, anyway, and he, he basically, he bought my argument, though. He thought it was amazing that I'd, I'd gone to such an extent to, to kind of open the door to this camp on my own that he agreed that I could come. And then my mum said, look, we've got to think about this because it's a big decision for the whole family. It's very expensive to all go down there. And I said to her, no, you don't need to come. I'll go alone. <laughs> so I did. So I went alone. And, you know, contrary to what people thought, I did not get homesick at all. I used to call every Tuesday, 8pm on a phone card on the phone box down the road. I cried on the way home because I didn't want to leave. And that was kind of the start of my love and my kind of obsession with the sport, I guess. Wow, that's absolutely extraordinary. I'm sort of taken by the, the sort of two things that you said there. Uh, one was the the gender roles and not knowing that there was actually any difference between you and your brothers. And a friend of mine, um, a teammate of mine, just posted today uh, for International Women's Day that she, uh, you know, she was so grateful to her mum for bringing her up. She has four older brothers. And she said, my mum brought me up exactly the same as she did. And she is also a phenomenal sportswoman. And on top of that, the extraordinary confidence. I have a 10-year-old daughter and she's pretty cool, pretty confident. But for you to actually just pick up the phone and go, right, I'm just organizing this all by myself. Do you think the two are linked? Yes, 
I think I think being the only girl of my brothers, it gave me this kind of confidence to to charge at life and to not excuse my determination. A lot of young women who I mentor nowadays, they don't want to be seen to be trying because it's not cool. They definitely don't want to go out there and say they want to win. Um, mm. Whereas I had these brothers who actually, unfortunately, society, if a boy goes out and is super confident with his goal setting, we say, you know, congratulations for being so driven. And, you know, it's, it's really great that you've got these optimistic goals. Whereas a girl, her peers think she's arrogant. And that's something we really need to change. Whereas I was not in that environment at all. I was always taught carpe diem, go out there, do whatever you can, get whatever you can create opportunities and grasp them and and that's what I did and I think yes I think it is a product from having these uh excelling athletes as parents and and brothers who are quite a bit older and do you think you said you know we need to change that do you think it is changing do you think it's changed at all since you were that age or do you think it's worse this sort of girls not wanting to put themselves forward yeah I think it's worse because everything is watched nowadays uh we do so much under the radar when I was younger I remember the the only time I felt a little bit like I was in the spotlight in a negative way for it was when we used to go to dry slate races and everyone else wears tracksuit bottoms and I wore these skin tight trousers because I wanted to win and that was faster and it wasn't cool so actually my mum took on this role as being a pushy mum because she saw that it would have been unpopular for me to be making those decisions that would be positive for my career but not cool so I used to say that my mum made me wear them which was absolute lie I wanted to win Mm. I wanted to win um but yeah it's it's really highlighted nowadays I coach a lot of young girls incredibly talented young female athletes who don't want to be seen to be trying they do want the success but if they're trying it they think it's they think it should all come naturally and I think because they're watched all the time on social media and you know the girls who are young fizz racers now it's that's international ski racing at 16 everything is online it's live straight away so all their peers they can see the mistakes the slow runs everything they are judged straight away whereas in my day I used to do a race come back to our base and people would ask me how it went actually not knowing the result and it was yeah. so much more organic and authentic for me to say, look, I made a mistake. I was slow or I skied really well. I was fast. Whereas nowadays everyone knows all day. So they don't, they don't even have those conversations anymore. Mm. And what do you tell these young women? How do you use your own experience and the, everything that you've learned over the years to encourage them and to, to, to let them know that it's okay to have goals and to have drive and ambition? Well, you are what you do. And if you suppress who you really are, you'll never be the best version of yourself. So if you want to go out there and win and you believe you can, you've got to tick every box and you will be seen to be ticking every box. But then you're living life to 100 percent. You're not putting a cap on your capability. And and I actually did. I did put a cap on my capability because I had a huge fear of failure in my prime where I skied at 80 percent and I was the best in Britain. And on the world stage, it was good. But I never achieved my maximum potential because I had a huge fear of letting other people down because I thought that Mm. I did go out there and be 100 percent, be my very best, put everything on the line and didn't win. I'd have to admit to myself and everyone around me that I just wasn't good enough. So for about eight years of my prime, I I skied within myself and it was a horrible way to live, very unsatisfactory. Then I put myself in a position in a race where I could go all out. And that's actually the run that I made history and became the first and only female British racer to win a run in World Cup. So I can use all my own experiences. And I think that because I look back and, you know, in hindsight, it's quite hurtful to admit that I made that choice myself. I can really try and 
mold young people to to take more risks and to live on the line and, and be their very best. And is that something, I know you just said it's quite hurtful to admit, is, is it a regret? Oh, no, it's not a regret because I am who I am because of that. Um, I remember when I got really close to an Olympic medal in Turin and I made a mistake. Um, I was in third place for a lot of the run and I came 11th. And everyone said, oh, you know, do you regret that you made that mistake? And I said, well, there's a reason that happened. It gave me the hunger and the belief and it prolonged my career. And yes, obviously, my dream was to win an Olympic medal. And I wish, you know, my first Olympics, I'd made one. But I have learned far more about myself to give back through all of my mistakes and failings than if I'd just won. Mm-hmm. And, and, well, yes, there's a lot to be said from learning from your mistakes, but I think that is almost what we've just been talking about, that, that, that these days it's so hard to, I think, to tell people that because this this perfection that is demanded by social media, by, you know, as you say, everything being recorded and seen and noticed. You see, that moment where you are honest with yourself, if you have a presence on social media and you are honest with yourself and your vulnerabilities and your mistakes – People empathize and they get you way more. I used mm. to be perfect all over social media my whole career. I rose tinted glasses. I wanted people to see me that way. And then I started getting hurt. And when I got hurt, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm supposed to be down and out. I'm supposed to be sad. I'm supposed yeah. to be crying. And I showed people in and people got me more. And actually motherhood was a really big thing for me because I was quite active on social media about how tough I found it. And for the first time in my life, peers and friends and other women in the UK understood me because I'm a downhill skier. No one understands that. You're not a London Londoner who goes downhill skiing and skis 92 miles an hour. People don't understand that. Whereas when I became a mother and I struggled, I I, I gained more. Um, not, it's not about following. It's just about, you know, having having an influence that you can use then in a positive way because you're way more honest with people. Yeah. Oh, no, I think it's absolutely true because uh, I talked to uh, quite a few of my guests about this and it's about the dip. The dip is what people relate to. It's what people understand because they want to know that they're not the only ones. And when someone in your position who has a, you know, a pretty big, um, you know, presence, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. But, you know, says this is really hard. I don't know what I'm doing or I'm struggling. Then people go, oh, thank goodness. It's not just me. Yeah, so important. So, so important. And I guess mother is, is ultimate because so many people struggle to conceive and struggle to to fulfill this role that they feel like they're, they're put here to do. And so when it does happen to you, you feel like you have to be so happy the whole time because other people are striving for that. And yet there are some very dark moments and it's really tough. Um, obviously, there are unbelievable highs. But I think you've got to have the confidence to go, you know what, I'm struggling too. Because when you reach out, you create a community of people who can support you. And that's especially important in what we've really learned in, in lockdown as well. Mm. You've got to talk to people. You've got to you know, say when you're having a tough time. Because otherwise people don't know how to help. Yeah. And what were your sort of main struggles when you first uh, became a mum? Um, I know that you went back to work really quickly, didn't you? You, ha- you had sort of had this timeline with, with world championships and c- coming up and that sort of thing. Yeah. So both times I was back at work within two and a half weeks, back on mm. skis. 
um, because I had a very unplanned, I mean, when I say unplanned, we've been trying to get pregnant for 18 months. And at the end, you know, it didn't matter when we did it. We're not going to try and schedule an April baby, which I had been trying to do because <laughs> it was very, very difficult. And, um, and I ended up having both the babies in January and having to go back to work. And I felt like I needed to go back to work to have that presence so that my career didn't falter which was mm. pressure that a lot of new mums feel. Um, and I went back and I was sleep deprived and I, I really struggled with breastfeeding at the beginning. I, I went and saw all these NHS uh, support groups for the first two weeks. I remember I was at every single one. I think I went every day and people were just like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm, I'm going away in two weeks. I've got to get this dialed. Mm. Uh, and I'm obsessed as an athlete with sleep. So that obviously changed really, really quickly. And I started reaching for sugar so that I could keep my mood up because my other love in life other than skiing is caffeine and coffee. <laughs> so I couldn't do that. And I just, I just felt like, um, I was trying to wear too many hats, but I felt like I needed to do that. Mm. Um, and it was an amazing experience for us as new parents to <laughs> dive into this deep end. Um, but it was, it was, I was definitely asking a lot of myself. I remember the first script I got the, the first night before I started working, and it was this massive paragraph that I had to learn. And I was mm. like, oh, my gosh, I can't even remember my name sometimes. <laughs> How's this going to happen? But you do, and the adrenaline comes. And and then I remember being so proud, like the turns I made after having both baby boys are as memorable to me as my turns back from injury because it was like I was free again. Mm. Well, it's funny. Uh, well, not funny, but I read that you somewhere that you said that you missed the selfishness Oh, yeah. of draining that thing and I've also read that you said quite recently that new mums or mums in general are under huge amounts of pressure and they sometimes stop what they love and that's one of the reasons I started this podcast and my own forays into adventures to kind of refine myself after motherhood. There's this stat out there that if you skied your whole life and then you have children and if you don't get back to the mountains within five years of those those kids growing up, then you will never get back. And I, I saw that and I was just like, oh, my gosh. And I've seen loads of mothers in my life look at motherhood and parenthood differently. And some of them have quit their professions and lived through their kids. And that's amazing. But I still feel like you shouldn't lose who you are. And, and, and you should be a bit selfish sometimes because mm. I'm a better mum. Like like right now, I've just done this huge stint with Ski Sunday away from my kids and my husband. And then I go and spend the most magical couple of weeks with them. And then I leave again. And I'm like, oh, my God, is this the right thing to do? I, mm. I, I'm very much a part-time mother this winter. But my husband's so supportive. And this is an opportunity that might never come again. And this yeah. experience could mold me to be a, to be a much more inspirational mother for, for my boys, you know? Part of it is... You know, Lockie said to me, what, where are you going, mommy? And I'm like, I'm going to go climb a mountain. And he drew mm. me a picture of me on this mountain. I'm like, mm. you know, when he understands this, he will think, God, that's pretty cool that my mum went out there and did all that. Yeah. And it is extraordinary because I, you know, as I say, one of the things that I realized, I, I pretty much gave up everything when my kids were born. It's not like I had like a massive career, but I, I kind of was like, I'd always wanted to be a mom and I was going to be a full-time mom, stay-at-home mom. And a few years down the line, I suddenly went, who who am I and wh where am I and wh what have I become and I love my kids as we all do and I've loved and been so grateful for the opportunity to have that time with them mm -hmm. but oh man it took me a long time to dig me back out of yeah. them 
if that makes any sense. <laughs> Katie, you're a really confident person. So you can imagine like other mums who leave it even longer, who are just mm. like, where is that girl? And, yeah. and and actually have in the being very semi in the public eye, but I have two identities really. I've got, you know, Shemi Crawford. That's, that's, that's the boy's mum. Mm. And then I still have this work named Shemi Alcott. And it, I, it kind of helps me to that's go good. and be that person. And, and, you know, it's not, I'm a different person. I'm just a kind of a, a morphed version of myself and I come back and it makes me whole again. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I'm just back from a week away after over a year uh, uh, working away. And it's just, I'm like, oh, I'm like this really great involved mum again. And it's fantastic. But you, we were talking about the dip and the struggles with, um, you know, uh, with motherhood at the beginning, but you've had, you had had before that during your career, some pretty dark times. I mean, you lost your mum really early, then you had some horrific injuries and you had to come back from a lot of stuff. Do you think that's helped in this new iteration of you as, you know, struggling through motherhood and coming out the other side to to manage the balance? Yeah, 100%. When I was younger, I was obsessed with athlete autobiographies and I was this incredibly talented uh, young skier. But I had amazing support from my family. My parents had financials backing of my sport and I had sponsors and there was no reason for me to not win which is Mm. why I couldn't win and I was obsessed with these autobiographies and everyone I read all these incredibly elite athletes world champions they they had a chip on their shoulder because of something that had happened they had adversity that they'd had to fight and challenge themselves and overcome and I didn't have that and then I mean I mean and then things started to happen and obviously you've got to look in the positives of something like your mum dying when you're 23 years old overnight, big shock. And I managed to find this incredible attitude that every day I want to grow, whatever mistakes I make, whatever happens, I've got to be a better version of myself because you never know when this life full of opportunity is going to be taken away. And I think that's something that I'm all about now and probably too much. So I'm too much of a yes person. I do push myself to, to the end of the spectrum in terms of my capabilities but I just, I just think it's today is today. And that's the only thing in the end we can control is our attitude towards that. Talk to me about the, you know, cause you're quite open about the, I saw you posting the other day that Tiger Woods now has the same leg injury or leg structuring that you do. Yeah. <laughs> and that was quite a dark, that was quite a difficult time for you as well, I think. Yeah, that was really hard. Um, because I was in my prime, because I'd found this new growth mindset, because I was going out there and giving it 100%. And when you give yourself 100% in a sport like skiing, you will suffer from some pretty big injuries. Mm. And yeah, I think it was more, I mean, it was so great that we had these like family interventions where they said, you know what, Shemi, you've given it a good go. Your body, you're putting risking so much now that maybe it's time to walk away. And I, and I was just like, you don't understand. I'm 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 not driven to win right now. I'm driven by the passion that I have to be a better skier. Mm. And that is all I can do. That's all I can control in this world that I'm putting all my effort into. And I believed I could come back and it was it was really sore. It was really dark. Um, you know, there was 12 months of non-walking, and then I had this crazy moment where I was given an opportunity back to health with dancing on ice, believe it or not, because mm-hmm. I got this call up actually I, I think it was from BBC Sports Personality I, I was there and I just started to walk normally again and I partied quite hard with Chris and Jane that night <laughs> she was like oh my god you're super fun come on the show 
and, and I was like, you know what, if I can learn to control this short, sharp blade, then I might get my edge control back, my feeling back. And I mean, everyone else goes on that show to have fun. I went on that show to get back to the sport I love. So I took it very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it did, it really helped me get back. And, and I look back at it, not as kind of sequins and sparkles that everyone talks about, but as you know, that that helped me find myself again. That's extraordinary. And you were fifth as well. Yeah, yeah, I had to fight quite hard. I was in the state off quite a lot, but I was fifth and then I made the tour. I was really focused on making the tour um, because I knew that if I made the tour, I could fund my ski and come back. Um, and yeah, so I really like tried to put my mark down to make that tour. And I know they, they originally didn't want me because I had the same demographic as someone else who was on the tour. Uh-huh. And they wanted Rosemary Connolly there, who's a lovely lady, um, but a different kind of following to me, sell more tickets. And every week I went out there and I was like calling them going, please, please let me get on this tour. <laughs> and so it worked. Your determination to get back on skis and you, yeah. you made it and you made it to Sochi. I did. I did. Sochi was amazing. It was um. I, I'd done four minutes of racing by the time I got in the start gate. And I remember just taking a breath and looking out and going I've done it you know whatever happens now I've done it and I had an amazing run and I was only 1.8 off the lead and I remember coming down to the finish in a downhill having got a top 20 and Graham Bell was there with BBC and they were expecting me to announce my retirement and I was like no hell no no I'm gonna keep going <laughs> and then and I really believed that I could and then actually the next race in Crans Montana I crashed I went to see my surgeon and he said to me look uh, if you crash again at the speeds you're going and the G-force you're trying to pull um, and break that leg and the metalwork in your leg, they would have to amputate it because I have no bone. Um, my, my my leg is still broken now, so I have a, a metal rod down the bone marrow in my right leg, and that's what I weight bear through. And I have this lump on my shin, which is where the bones are broken, which will never heal. And so kind of it was really good, actually, because I love the sport so much that I don't know how I would have retired. Otherwise, I would... You know, I don't know how far I would have pushed my body physically mm. and I want to be able to do stuff for the future. And the fact that he kind of took that decision away from me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I gave it a good go. I Four Olympics and um, I didn't achieve what I could have achieved. That is for sure. And everyone knows that. But I gave it a massive go against so much adversity that I look back and it's an it's an amazing story. It is an amazing story. And what are the highlights of that skiing career? I'm definitely in Solden 2008. So it's the World Cup opener. It's pretty gnarly GS. Men and women race it together and huge steep. Um, And that was the run that I won the second run. And I remember standing Mm -hmm. there being elated in the finish because I had a poor first run, which meant I had huge TV time. I was in the finish, the, the winner's chair forever. And then (laughs) I I was, I was like high on life and my coaches came down and, and they were pretty mellow. And it's because they always believe that I had that run in me. Oh. And so it took that for me to have the confidence to, to go all out. And that kind of changed things. From, from that moment on, actually, on paper, my career looks quite disastrous because I started crashing hard. But I knew that every time I pushed out that start, I was on my limit. So it was either going to be fireworks yeah. or a helicopter, put it that way. And there were a few of those after that. <laughs> And you just said pushing limits, and it's something I talk to a lot of my guests about. I've got, you know, ocean rowers, ocean sailors, people doing extraordinary things that I talk to all the time. And I I just, I love that concept of the pushing the limits. And is there a line, like you've kind of just said it, that you had to be given the line. The surgeon said, 
this is it. You you, you can't yeah. do this anymore. Uh, but I'm I'm fascinated by where is that line that you push yourself past, but then do you know what I mean? Like when how it, do when you it, know where the line is? <laughs> I think I think when it affects the rest of your life and health, then you've give you you've gone too far. I really mm. believe that. And I've seen that during my career. I've seen some incredible athletes, Olympic champions who can't walk anymore. Yeah. And I think for me, having all those experiences and having such a longevity in the career mm-hmm. um, and, you know, I, wanting other dreams. By then I'd met my future husband um, and like you, I always wanted to be a mum. I I didn't know what I wanted to be after I retired, except for a <laughs> presenter on Ski Sunday, actually. <laughs> I didn't really have any other dreams. And so, I, but I knew that if I wouldn't be able to ski again, then I wouldn't be the completest version of myself. So I was like, I want to ski until I'm 80. I need to stop racing. It's such a small part of my passion for skiing. Amazing. I love that because I, I like that, you know, you said, just that it was just a, it was a small part like it was the whole of your life but actually yeah. you realized that in in the bigger scheme of things that that was just a small part of the rest of your life I yeah think- exactly and you know I, I'm married to a ski racer as well and I just think we have so much enjoyment on the mountains and yes I love being fast and yes I still have an ego and when I go out there I want to make the perfect carbs. People think <laughs> that I must just cruise around now, but whatever I'm doing, I'm still trying to be perfect. I'm still trying to make cool angles. Mm. And I think it's fun because that's something I never realized as well. And when I went on dancing on ice, I was so jealous of the pros because they'd been, you know, winter Olympic athletes and then they mm. got to retire and still do their sport as an entertainment. And I was like, oh my God, that'd be amazing. But that's not what I do. I race against the clock. I go 93 miles an hour. How is that entertainment? And then, and then when I retired, I did a few jobs. And I remember that I did a job with a bunch of journalists and a few of them sheepishly at the end of the day said, hey, if we go down, do you think you could ski down and we could video you just, you know, so we can watch it again? Hmm. And I thought, oh my gosh, is what I do an art form? Is this skill <laughs> that I tried to think of speed? And it was amazing because, you know, now, now I, I get asked that all the time. I also use it, my ego, when I get judged, you know, sometimes I'm on the mountain with makeup on, blonde hair and... I see people tutting when they see I have a camera crew. They think I'm doing something frivolous. And as soon as I get that look, I race down and cut them up and go, hey, look, I can ski. <laughs> it's so silly. It's so silly that I do that, but I just love it. Oh, no, I quite I quite agree. I think there's a lot to be said for being judged. I, I have a HGV lorry license, and I can't tell you the amount of times I have, uh, not recently, I hasten to add, but and I've jumped out of a lorry, blonde hair and makeup, and they're like, what I drive a nine-seater white van around Europe as well and I'm like Woo-hoo, living the life and it's so not what people expect me to drive I love toys so I've got to have a big toy van to carry <laughs> yeah. everything in love it um so what I was going to say yes yeah, so back ski Sunday that was your next dream I mean that is like iconic I mean congratulations what a fantastic amazing thing to have achieved you know even the soundtrack is like iconic and everything I, I mean, I, st- I still like kind of have to pinch myself and yeah, it was, it brought, it was the only time my family all sat together the whole week. We yeah. sat together on a Sunday on this. Oh, me too. Same. I watched it. And, and then, and then to go, oh my God, I remember my first interview on Ski Sunday. I was so excited. And then when I retired, they're like, Hey, can you do a few like presenting gigs for us on the women's tour? I was like, yes, definitely. And then this winter, I mean, to get the call up was 
I, I was just, I was on the beach in Cornwall surfing and I, <laughs> I heard my phone ringing when I was walking back to my bag. And I was like, oh my God, I need to get that. And Dougie's like, no, no, get it later. And there's something really gravitating me towards my phone. I picked it up and it was like, hey, you've been great. We want you to take the lead with Ed. And I was just, I, yeah, I was like, I was, I was jumping around in my bikini on the beach and Dougie's looking at me going, well, what's happened? What's happened? I'm trying to map <laughs> it at him and he doesn't get it. And and obviously it was like the weirdest winter ever. And I'm the luckiest. I feel like I'm the luckiest woman in the Alps this winter. Like I'm so oh, fortunate. It has been. And you, you, you know, and you managed it so beautifully that, it, you know, that I know that the big ethos for both you and Ed and for the whole team was to give people that sort of, it's all going to be fine. I know you can't be here, but we're, you know, we're going to, you're going to be back soon. And it was just brilliant. And it was really hard because we felt... We felt so much guilt at the beginning, but it made so much sense. Like there was talk of us doing it in the studio in the UK, but then mm. the two New Zealanders who'd come from a COVID-free country would be flying to Britain, which at that point was disastrous. I was in Switzerland at the time, so then bring me back. And then it was like, okay, we're going to do this. People people might hate it. People might be so angry that we, we have this opportunity that we need to really make all of our stories and all of our chat bringing them in and trying to help them escape. And that was really fun too, because... Um, you know, I got to explore a few things with my technical analysis pieces that I got such amazing feedback for. And I was like, right, okay, this is something that we've never had the opportunity to do before. Let's let's try this. Let's see what this works. And and it kind of evolved. And yeah, it was we were we're really lucky to have such good feedback. Amazing. And so, uh, is that to carry on, or is that uh, TBC? I mean, it's in discussions. I know that um, uh, Ed and I had amazing chemistry and. Uh, Graham is incredible at what he does as well. So, I mean, it's, it's up to the powers that be, but I'm I'm pretty sure they're not going to cast me off. <laughs> um, Good. And next year's an epic year as well. Um, and I'm really hoping that I get to work alongside my friend Claire Balding um, for the Olympics again, because that was just mind-blowing learning from her yeah. last time. I can. I feel like she's absolutely awesome. I'm such a fan. I was messaging her today because it's International Women's Day, so I messaged her this morning. We had some lovely gooey chats. And, yeah, and then it went to golf and her obsession with <laughs> golf. I have to say, every time I watch her present, I just go, how do you make that look so effortless and easy oh she's just yeah I'm a complete fan completely fan yeah. girl over her <laughs> especially when she does um sports personality of the year I just think my god amazing oh well that's yeah because that must be absolutely incredible to learn from somebody of that caliber it's extraordinary I think I think also such so early along early in my career to have be sitting next to someone of her abilities who made me feel comfortable enough to to be myself mm. and she there was no, there was no molding me into someone. It was like, hey, Shemi, you're super quirky. You've got this crazy energy. Let's work with that. And and I loved that because so uh, it would have been so easy to be someone who I thought everyone wanted me to be on TV. But instead, it was like, no, look, this is why people or like you or not like you and that's what makes you different well it's a little bit like we were saying earlier about the social media I think you have to would take the big scary step into vulnerability and say this is me warts and all yeah yeah you do you really and do I mean I did a hilarious Facebook live in um, before one of the ski Sundays and everyone was so nice and then this one person kept asking me why do you look so old to the extent that I had to <laughs> I had to reply to it and it was just amazing I was just like why do I look so old well hey listen 
I'm I'm living life hard. Yeah. And what a bizarre <laughs> thing to say. Yeah. What a bizarre <laughs> thing to say because you've you've had your fair share of, uh, you know, talking going back to the dip. You've had your fair share of troubles on social media of late. I've been reading. Yeah, yeah. I try. I mean, I kept it on the down low, and I tried to block it all. And um, it was just unbelievable because it was very much directed to me as a woman, and I wasn't going to bring it up. And then, obviously, the guard. There was a Guardian story recently, and and horrendous uh, feedback from uh, the rugby the other day. And Ed brought it up. Actually, he was the one who kind of said, "Look, I he he never gets shocked by anything, but he couldn't believe mm. the the abuse I got." And it was, you know, some of it was absolutely absurd and really. Uh, detailed, cringeworthy things, and um, and then he brought it up, and then oh my gosh, and then Planet Ski wrote a story on it. But it's, I mean, it's 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 just not right because it wouldn't happen if I was a guy. It didn't happen to Graham, mm. um, and uh, it, it's tough. It gives you thick skin because you can get ninety messages of support, and then you get one nasty one, and you delve into that. And I've had quite a lot of trolling before. And I've given the trolls attention. I've de- I've dealt with it not the right way, um, and and you just I mean I don't know I don't I don't know how to handle it. I'm still learning. Um, you just have to be confident in your team around you. And we had such a small team, Whiskey Sunday with Zoid and Ed this year, that it was amazing because we, it was just full of support and admiration for each other because we were making a lot of sacrifices. You know, all of us away from our families, all of us every night on our own in our own room because mm-hmm. we weren't allowed to. So we weren't allowed to see each other indoors. And then, and, and that brings you together really quickly. Yeah. Or, or, uh, albeit not together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you must, you know, you must have, well, both, I, I, I know Ed was a long time away from his kids. You were a long time away from your kids. That's hard to be separated like that. And, you know, to have to deal with this very personal these very personal attacks. So I'm I'm truly sorry that that happened because that's absolute yeah, it's so hard. I hope I hope you're saying you don't know how to deal with it, but it sounds like you you are doing the best thing. And I and, and I say I hope that your mental fortitude from all the other dips that you've had to deal with has sees you through that yeah yeah I I I think it will and and you know I know I'm not gonna be everyone's cup of tea always I know that I'm in a world where I'm putting myself out there to be judged and I'm in a world where I'm open to so many opportunities and you've got to take the positives um way more on a, a heavier weighing scale than a negatives and it's just it's just about um trying to have that support and trying to be strong enough but we always have, you know, when I, like you said, I was on my own and I, I have to say I, I did really well on my own because I got obsessed with yoga. So I was doing two hours of yoga every oh, day. Wow. So I had all this mindfulness. It's stuff that I, since I've had kids, Lockie's four years old, I've, I haven't had a day really or time to myself at all. So I was like, right, I've got time to myself. I'm going to do, I'm going to do structured health uh, cleansing for my bones and my body. And I, and I, it was great. <laughs> it was great, but I had to keep busy mm. because if I ended up scrolling on my phone, then, then it let people in and it's it's the people you don't want to let in that that eat away at you isn't it bizarre because you know you've had so much support and I get you know so many lovely things said to me about my podcast or lots of things and we get so many so much more good stuff but as you say it's just that one or two I mean you've had a lot more than one or two that things that and why is it that that's the bit that you you if you don't work hard that's the bit that you remember that you think about yeah. that you 
obsess over. They're actually quite clever because it's always such a personal attack. Like a few, I had a few comments about my work, which I actually agreed with. Someone was like, she smiles too much. And then another person said, she uses her hands too much. I'm very expressive when I talk. And I was like, right, that's great. Okay. Mm. I mean, the smiling stuff, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm happy, but that was, <laughs> that, was, that was feedback in my, that was critique. Okay. Mm. But then anyone who, who, who went personal, it was like, deeply personal sexual attacks and it was like why like what kind of person and then actually in the end when you say it out loud like it attacks you and then when you say it out loud you think oh my gosh this person must be so troubled to hide behind a computer and write this and that's what you have to think you know what what are they getting out of this it somehow it's bringing them happiness I mean you and I can never understand how doing that to someone would but oh it's just it is bizarre. I mean, I, I did a lockdown, mummy school lockdown diaries on my personal Instagram during the, the only lockdown we've had here in Switzerland, which was May, March to May last year. And somewhere in the middle of it, I did, I did a little post every single day, like the highs and lows, like you were saying, just, you know, the good stuff, the bad stuff, the days I had an argument with my husband, the days I could have just quite happily left the kids to their own devices, everything, the ups and downs. And about halfway through, I got a personal handwritten letter telling me what an enormous pain in the ass I was and who cares and who who's interested in following it. That's exactly it. And I know every single person on my personal Instagram, every single person, I know them personally. And so I was like, wow. So I snottered and cried for about two hours. And then I got on my turbo trainer, put on some loud music and swore very, very loudly for quite a long time. And then I was like, you have a really sad life. I'm really sorry for you. And then I was better. But so I can only imagine how that is when it's more and public and all the time. So that's really hard. I, I happen to know from experience that loud, confident women do not make everybody's day, <laughs> you know, and that's unfortunately how it is. But as you say, you got to just be yourself. But I also want to be affected by it. The day that I'm not affected yes. by it is the day that I'm cold hearted. So I want to have these highs and lows and people congratulating me and me feel elated to then, you know, to get that because it, it grounds you. And um, I just, you know, I think it's important. I think it's important yeah, to, to feel all the feelings. Yeah. Feel all the feelings, as Glennon Doyle would say. Yeah, it's really important. So anyway, moving on from the trolls and the <laughs> vicious people, tell me about the new exciting challenge, because you mentioned it slightly earlier. You're going away to climb a mountain and your boys know, and I want to hear all about it because I know it was just announced this week. So what's happening? I mean, God, I, I actually, I'm still quite naive to what is happening. Um, <laughs> basically, I got this email out of the blue when I was in Lux going, hey, amazing, you're in Switzerland and you're a Brit. And we really want someone British to come on this challenge. Um, and that's kind of all I read. And I see the word challenge. I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. And then and then they wrote back saying, hey, you might want to do some training. And I'm like, yeah, sure, sure, sure. And then I was like, send me, send me a little bit of itinerary. And I read this itinerary and I was like oh my God, I've never done anything like this before. Um, you know, there were words on the kit list that just baffled me. I was like, they just made this up? And this is on the kit list, let alone the technique. And and basically it's um, 
Swiss Tourism are doing this incredible 100% Women's Peak Challenge where actually for from today onwards, they're, they're opening up the whole of Switzerland to every woman to try and get them outdoors to climbing. And women say climbing, it's ski touring, uh, bootpacking, whatever, however you want to do it. You can do it summertime, wintertime. And it's it's just an amazing initiative. Um, and we're doing three 4,000 meter peaks. Oh mm. my God. Saying that, like, what am I doing? <laughs> uh, and and I'm doing it with an incredible team of mountain goats, female mountain goats, women. Mm-hmm. I actually said that the other day, and someone said, "What? They're actual goats?" I'm like, "No, <laughs> it's like these women who are born to be in the mountain, who are born to climb up things, less ski down them." Mm. Um, and yeah, we're we're doing these three peaks. We're doing starting tomorrow morning. We're staying in a mountain hut, which I've always wanted to do. Lovely. Um, Don't forget your earplugs. No, yeah, my top tip: earplugs. I have got earplugs. Yeah, earplugs and sun cream uh, (laughs) are my big two. Um, But obviously, we've launched it on International Women's Day, and I've been a fan of championing this day since forever. Actually, since Mm. since knowing about it, you know, my mum was an incredible force of nature of my career, and. I very early on had a massive appreciation for all women. Uh, she did a degree in women's liberation. So wow. I, was, I was like champion when I was younger to be an incredibly strong woman and leader. And actually, I think when I was younger, because of my brothers, I was a bit of a tomboy. And the older I get, the more I really gravitate towards incredible women. And mm-hmm. I've never felt, and I'm really proud of this, but I've never felt jealousy to women who are doing something better than me. Instead, I go into a room and I find that woman and I walk over and I introduce myself. And I think that's one of my biggest strengths is that I see someone who inspires me and I and I want a piece of that. So I mm. prefer them. And you know, I've got I've got an incredible group of girlfriends now. And so to have this opportunity to meet these amazing women who are world class at what they do and who I can learn from. I, I have no ego in the next three days because mm. I know my strengths and they are not walking up something, hiking up something, ice, uh, ice axe climbing. The, you know, this is all completely foreign to me. Like today, I've been walking around Sasfe trying to find crampons for my skis. <laughs> and I, I read it and I thought they were boot crampons and I didn't even understand they were different. Like I'm so naive, but I'm really good at, I'm really good at following. Mm. Having said I'm a leader, I'm a leader at stuff I'm confident in. So I know I'm going to be fine skiing down. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, you know, it's just about not losing your ego and listening. And especially in this kind of dangerous environment, we're going in glacier, so we'll be roped in. Um, and I'm really excited. I, I am petrified. Petrified. And so you're doing, what are you doing? You're doing a Lallenhorn? Yeah, I'm doing, I mean, this this is t- terrible, but I, I, I'm not exactly clear. A Lallenhorn. Um, and then we go, we're staying in the Britannia hut. Yes. And then the next day we're going to the Alphubel. So that's yes, the- Alphubel, yes. And then the last day is um, up to the... Strahlhorn? Strahlhorn, yeah. Yeah. Well, the reason I, I'm sounding rather familiar with these names, apart from living in Switzerland, is my husband is on a mission to do all 48 uh, of them. And Amazing. I think he's at about 30-something or other. Oh, right. Each of he's taken each of me and my son and my daughter to do one with him. Um, my son has done a Lallan horn, um, and my daughter did the bright horn. Um, both of them, I think they were nine and ten when they did it, and I did my first one. 
Parrot Spits last August. So um, I am with you on the being terrified, but yeah, if you if you'll be absolutely fine, because unlike the rest of us, you'll have a be fine. I think I'm going to struggle, <laughs> but I'm really excited to struggle. That's, yeah, that's good. No, it is good. And I've not, and none of us have done them on skis. He's done some of them on skis, but we've mostly done it on foot in the summer. That is amazing. And who are your teammates? Um, so um, I met Joey, I'll, I'll just get their names because I met Joey yesterday um, and she is from Italy, mm. an amazing mountain climber. She is also super humble. So it was quite fun to meet her because she was downplaying it as much as me and on the skiing <laughs> quite, quite quickly, she was telling me all about um, asking me all about tips to ski down. So then I was like, great, that means I can ask you about tips to go up. Um, but Caro North is leading it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, a lot of other mama athletes. I haven't met them yet. Um, and I I don't like to stalk people on social media before I meet them because I want to meet them and then do it. So as soon as I've met them tonight, I'm going to kind of look at them um, and, you know, all their achievements. But I think it's really important to meet people on a level playing ground. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I always do that, actually, when I go to these events and meet people because um, I think it helps everyone you know, you let your guard down more if if you don't know who you're supposed to have your guard up in front of. <laughs> yeah, so I quite agree. Well, listen, um, I know you've got to go and prep. And uh, by the time this is published, you'll all be down and dusted. And uh, it, I, will, I will hopefully be able to put in a little postscript at the end to, to say that you're done. Have an amazing time. Thank you for your time. It has been just an absolute pleasure to chat to you. Um, I really, as I, say, I said at the beginning, I've loved following your career and I really, I hope that it goes from strength to strength and I look forward to see what's next. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back next week with another incredible episode of Chatting to a Friend. In the meantime, please give us a follow on Instagram, Chatting to a Friend, for all the latest news. Bye-bye.